Hey, you know what today is? Sunday, I like that. It's Groundhog Day. I already mentioned that it's Super Bowl Sunday. Today is 2-2-2-0. You know, I, I think about a lot of people, it'll just go right over head that today's the Super Bowl. They just don't care about football. They don't care about the game. Uh, as a matter of fact, they may go shopping because hardly anybody will be at the store. You know? I, I don't know. I don't know. Are you going to watch the football game today? How, who's going to cheer for Kansas City? Who knew that Kansas City was in the game? Okay. Who's going to cheer for, what's that other team? The 49ers. Yeah. And a bunch of you, about half, are not cheering for anything. You're not going to watch the game, not even the commercials, huh? You're cheering for both teams? Oh, you have a San Francisco connection and a Kansas City connection, yeah. Yeah, Kansas City is where the Church of the Nazarene has their headquarters, you know. So, uh, anyway. I... I the Seahawks are not going to win today. They're not going to lose either, so, so I'm excited about that. So you, you understand that this is a big thing going on, but a lot of people are going to just not even pay attention. Groundhog Day is totally going to be forgotten for many, many people. You know? As a matter of fact, you probably weren't even thinking that it was Groundhog Day until, how did you come up with that? It's always been this way in, in February 2nd, just you... Poskowski, whatever that is, Pennsylvania. I don't know what it is. He didn't see his shadow. That means early spring. No, it's, it's backwards. I, look this up, okay? If he sees his shadow, more, more winter. If he doesn't see his shadow, spring sooner. Well, that's, that's maybe good news. We've had a mild winter anyway. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that stuff's going on around us all the time? I wonder how many people don't know about going to church today. There's a lot of people that don't know about that. As a matter of fact, I would say the Super Bowl and Groundhog Day are probably higher on some people's list than churches, than having a relationship with God. And that's really sad. You also know that this is the month of February, the month of love. Valentine's Day. We got hearts all over that calendar that we put out. And so we're going to be talking about love this month. And each Sunday, we're going to take a kind of a different perspective on that. But as the background for all of this, I'd like for you to open your worship folder one more time and look at the words that are on the bottom of the page every week and that you probably never read or never notice. You just think it's part of the decoration. It is not. It is the statement of mission for our church. Read it with me. The very bottom, really light blue. Do you see it? It starts with the word Placerville. Go with me. Church of the Nazarene on a journey, living God's love, sharing God's word. That's our mission statement. That's what we want to be about. We want to be about sharing God's word with people but we gotta have something before that we gotta have love we've got to have love for that so open your bibles to ephesians chapter 5 i i'm gonna say it i love this verse 
it's weird to say that we love verses of Scripture. We talk about loving people and loving pecan pie. We, we love all kinds of things. But today we're talking about uh, giving our direction to the very best place it can go. We're going to talk about what it means to live love and to love God. Here is what it says in this first, verse, first two verses of Ephesians. The first word, do you see it? Imitate. It says, imitate God. Imitate God, therefore. Now, this word imitate is an interesting word in the Greek, mimestes. It means mimic. Mimic. Be like, did you ever play follow the leader? And, and you, you all lined up and you tried to do exactly what the leader did, and, if, and the leader would try to climb over things and, and jump down and do different stuff that would be hard for you, and, and you were to mimic that. You know, I'm not even sure the purpose of that whole game is. Does anybody win or lose? You know, how does that all work? It's just kind of a fun thing to do. Kids make those things up. They do them. They love them. This says, though, we are to mimic God. We're to do the things that God does, to, to pay attention to him, to follow him, just like follow the leader. Follow. That's the, the Greek found its way into English as imitate. It really means to mimic and follow God. But it says, the next line says, in everything that you do. Now, I'd like for you to think back over the last week. You did a lot of stuff in the last week. Some of it was good. Did you do anything bad in the last week? Don't confess right now. Just, you know, ask God to forgive you and move on, okay? We do all kinds of things during the week. Some of it might be important stuff. Some might not be so important. Did you watch TV last week at all? Yeah. Did you, was that a good investment of time? Was it a waste of time? Did you enjoy it? Did you not, were you entertained? Did you hear uh, bad language? Did you hear uh, uh, people doing things, seeing, doing things that, that you wouldn't do, but you invited them into your television, into your living room? Isn't that weird that we, but how important is that? Did you play any games on the internet this week? Oh, man, I, I'm nearly addicted to a game called Klondike, and it's, it's, out of, it's a gold rush simulation game. It's not a card game. It's a, it's a you go and you, you try to find gold, and you, you build houses, and you hire workers, and, and you do all this stuff. It's called Klondike. Now, if that's all you get out of this Sunday morning and you go home and start playing Klondike, you will have missed lots and lots of points. But I realize I have to watch it because I can be playing Klondike and, and a half hour is gone. And I have to go, oh, oh put that away. It's, it's a challenge. It's fun. But, and it's, it's, it's harmless. There's not any evil stuff in it except that it just grabs my attention and my time. I remember... Some time ago, someone asked me, what was the least important thing you did last week? And, you know, I ran down a list. And, and then they asked me, well, did you read the Bible? And I said, well, yeah. How much? Did you read the Bible as, much as, 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 as many hours or minutes or whatever as you watched television? Oh, no, not near. What do you think is having a greater influence in your life? And, man, I'm starting to hate this conversation that this person is having with me. Well, did you pray? Well, yeah, I, I prayed. I ate, and so I prayed before I ate, and you know. And, well, 
did you pray at other times? Well, how much time did you spend on the Internet and, and doing just fun things? Well, yeah. Did you pray as much time as you spent doing that? Oh, now I'm starting to really feel guilty, you know? And I began to think, well, what really is important to me? I was not one of those who went home from school and did their homework right away. You understand? There was, there was something else better. I, I was one of those who put it off. And, and if I didn't get it done, well, there's tomorrow's always another day. Um, I did get motivated later on, and I did quite well in college. But, but before that, I kind of had my perspective out of balance. Does that ever happen to you? That something that you want to do, that you ought to do, that you, that you don't spend quite as much time on. Well, it kind of tells us what's really important in our lives. What's important right now is that April comfort her child because she's feeling bad. And all of you are looking over there. So I could say anything and it wouldn't matter because you wouldn't even pay attention. Because that has grabbed your attention away from something God wanted to tell you. And we laugh about it, but it's true. It happens all the time. In everything you do, imitate God. Did you act like God in a moment this last week? Man, he can really bless that when you do. When, when we imitate God in everything that we do, that's becoming totally all in with God. And why do we do this? Because you are his dear children. Not, not just children, your dear children. Did you ever any, have any children that were dear and other children who were not dear? Aren't all children dear, even though you don't like it sometimes? Did you have a favorite child? You think God has favorite children? You know, I think for God, all of us are dear. And what does it mean to be his child, to imitate him? I am amazed how many oftentimes children imitate their parents, whether it's good things or not so good things. They do that. I mean, as a, as a parent, did you want your kids to act like you? Um, I grew up in a home where I was not allowed to act like my parents. There were the words that they could use that I was not allowed to use. As a matter of fact, if I used those same words that they used every day in standard, just regular conversation, I would get in trouble. But they could use them. And, and I decided something. I am not going to use words that my kids are not allowed to use. I'm not going to allow myself to use those words. I'm not going to allow myself to watch movies that my kids are not allowed to watch. Now, there could be some, as they grow older, they're just too adult for them. And, and I get that. I understand how you can do that. But I, I just, this became a kind of a rule for me. If I'm God's child, he wants to protect me from a lot of junk that I think is so cool that, oh, man, I'm so adult. I can, I can handle this. I don't do R-rated movies, but I did watch Saving Private Ryan, and it was so intense. The landing at D-Day... I cannot unthink that. And I just experienced it on a, in a movie. How many people experienced that real life? Wow, we, we, we want to protect our children from that kind of stuff. 
God wants to protect us from that kind of stuff because he loves us, because we're his dear children. He wants his kids to act like they're his kids. And how do we do that? Verse 2. We're all the ready, all the way to verse 2. It says, live a life filled with love. If we take that statement of our mission statement and we reduce it down to two words, I have kind of just adopted that as a motto for our church. I don't know how well it catches on. But, but if you could take our church's mission and purpose and motto and put it down to two words, it would be this for me. Live love. Live love. Live a life filled with love. Walk in love. Become love to others. Because of our relationship with God and and the power that he gives us through the Holy Spirit, we can become Christ-like in our character and in our lifestyle. We can walk as God walks. And his Holy Spirit helps us do that. I love that we're a part of a church that believes in being saved. But saved just gets you in the boat, out of the water. Being sanctified is you pick up a row or an oar, a, a paddle, an oar, and you row and try to help save other people. And God becomes more and more part of your life. And because of our relationship, we become more and more in character like God. More and more our lifestyle is like, like God. Are, are you the same on Sunday as you are the rest of the week? Are, are there some differences in your life? That's a good check to say, well, maybe I'm not quite all in. I'm all in on Sunday uh, morning for an hour. But God wants every hour, not just one or two or ten. Live a life filled with love. Start loving better. You'll get there. Because as you live a life like this, God will bring more and more love into your life. Isn't that a cool thing? How do we do this? By following the example of Christ. Now, Jesus is God, but he also became a human being. Now, it's really hard to play follow the leader with God, okay? But Jesus became a human being, so we could play follow the leader, so that we could do the things that Jesus did. He said, hey, he's going to go back home, and he's going to send the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be able to do the things that he did. You're going to be able to follow the example of Christ because of the Holy Spirit. He came to earth. This was his very purpose. We call it the incarnation. That's uh, the whole Advent thing. Jesus was born as a little baby. Who doesn't love a little baby? Well, sometimes they yell and scream and you take them out, but you still love them. He came so that he could show us how to live and how to love. He loved us. That's what it says next. He loved us. The word for love here is the God type of love, agape. You've heard that, I'm sure. He loved by example, laying down his life, sacrificing for his friends. He calls you his friend. And just like good parents love their children and are examples to them, he came to earth to be an example to us. And what did he do? Two things. He offered himself. And he sacrificed himself. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Offering and sacrifice. That's what Jesus was. 
He freely offered a sacrificial offering of his own life for us. We're going to have communion. That celebrates his offering and sacrifice. Now, you can make an offering without it being a sacrifice. And you can even make a sacrifice without freely offering it, you know, begrudging it. But God wants us to do both. He wants us to be an offering. And he wants us to sacrifice for him in love. God wants both. And so he provides the example of both in the person of Jesus Christ, the one we are to follow. Now, we come down to the last line of this. I like it. Because it says, this is a pleasing aroma to God. It's sweet. This is a sweet scent. We, we, you know, how sweet to hear the singing. We, we often say things like, oh, what a sweet baby. Normally they're asleep when we say that. What a sweet baby. Or, or when they're awake it's in, and they're happy, you know, and they've had all their, their conditional needs met, they can be happy and they can bring such joy. What a sweet baby. Or, hey, what a sweet thing to do. Colette was so touched because in preschool last week they made get well cards for Colette. And, and she's been working in there in first hour. And so they sent these home, and she wrote a thank you note to the preschoolers, and they're getting that this morning. And, you know, it's just a back and forth, total all-in love for each other. And it's wonderful. I love it when that happens. Kyle made a special little card, and so she said, now, I, this is a special card for Kyle because he, he made this one. And I, I guess he did this. Did he do it here, Sean? See, he did this without his parents' permission. Fabulous. It was, oh, Moira was, yeah, yeah. I forgot you have a wife that's loving and kind and all that. I can tell you, at our house, we send out a lot of thank you notes and cards and stuff. And Colette writes 99.5% of them. You understand it? Have you ever gotten a thank you card from me? <laughs> I mean, from us. Yeah, but... Uh, I send out the birthday card. She send us the thank you notes. And it's sweet. There are some things in life that are just sweet. In this, in this month of February, we, we sometimes think about, well, you are my sweetheart. You know, we want to be a, somebody's sweetheart. We even say that. You're so sweet. Well, let me just tell you that being a Christian is sweet. Being a Christian doesn't stink. If you are a Christian and people around you think that stinks, you're not doing it right. It's supposed to be sweet. I have to be careful sometimes because even making this statement, telling you you're not doing it right, kind of stinks, doesn't it? We're to do it right, and it is sweet. We're going to take a look at a, another passage here just a moment in Mark. And so if you'd like to turn there, it's in Mark 12. And in this passage, the background for this passage is that some of the religious leaders uh, sent some of their own people. They, uh, the religious leaders, the political religious leaders of Judea in that day were the Sadducees. Um, this is not a, a fair comparison, but they would have been like the more liberal of the political parties. There was the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the two main ones, and, and there were other groups along the way. Well, 
Well, the Sadducees were going there, and they were trying to test, really trying to trip up Jesus, trying to trick him into saying something that they could arrest him for and get rid of him. Uh, boy, that sounds familiar to me in our own day and age today. And some of the Pharisees tagged along on this encounter. So there's some Sadducees, some Pharisees, a big crowd. They're confronting Jesus. Hey, uh, and they fired questions at him. And, and, and they got into this whole big argument. That, okay, how can we trip him up? Let's come up with this whole scenario, a hypothetical situation about this guy, and he dies, and so his widow's supposed to marry him, and, and who's going to be married to the, you know, and they go through this whole elaborate thing, just trying to trick Jesus. They didn't care about the truth. They didn't care about following God. They wanted to trick Jesus. So finally, they, they have a big debate over the resurrection of the dead. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection of the dead, so Jesus is kind of getting them to kind of encounter each other too. And so the Sadducees are going, no, that's not right. And the Pharisees are going, yeah, you tell them, Jesus. You know, and they're going back and forth. But Jesus finally tells them this. This is Mark chapter 12, verse 24. You're making a mistake. You, your mistake is that you don't, know the scriptures you don't get it you study the scriptures and then you do your own thing you don't know what god wants you to do and and you and you don't do it either and, it's, and so you don't know the scriptures you're not following if you're spending way more time on tv than on studying the bible then maybe you don't know the scriptures like you probably should and then he says and you don't know the power of god wow I mean, they tried to follow the law on their own power. It can't be done. We can only do real love through the power of God. And so, so he says, that, that's your problem. Now, one of the Pharisees, they call him a scribe, which meant it was kind of his job as a Pharisee, was to write down those scriptures, rewriting things, making sure the law was interpreted correctly, and, and they had all these laws they were supposed to follow. And, and so this guy kind of gets it. He kind of gets it. And this starts at verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. Wow, good answer, Jesus. And so he asked, because he was impressed by the truth of God that Jesus was speaking, he asked him a question. And I believe this is sincere. Of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the most important? And Jesus replied, the most important, most important commandment of all is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Now, Jesus is quoting the Shema. We did the Shema in our response of reading this morning. It, the, the Shema is, is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. It's, and it, it's his name from the first Hebrew word in the Shema, which is, listen. What, what God was saying is, listen up, people, and I'll tell you how to live. I'll tell you how to love. I'll tell you how your life can be better. So do you think this is important for us to listen? Yeah. Listen, and, and this Shema was prayed every morning and every evening. 
it, it kind of got to be kind of routine, so maybe they didn't think about it. Let me, let me tell you what happens. We do the Pledge of Allegiance and the Pledge to the uh, American flag and to the Christian flag and to the Bible and different things. We do this at Caravan every week. And I look out at those kids, and I can see them. They have got this memorized, and they can say it without even thinking about it. That's a problem. If you get so rote in that that it's not here and here and here and everywhere, then you're just going through the motions. Jesus talks about that later, but that's not today. Listen. And this prayer has been one of the most influential traditions in Jewish history. They've been saying this prayer for thousands and thousands of years. Thousands. Probably three to 4,000 years before Jesus. It's been around a long time. And they know this prayer. Do they get it? I mean, this became like the daily prayer in ancient Israel. It was, like, it was like our saying the Lord's Prayer or the Pledge of Allegiance. It was, it was, you know, like we say, our Father in heaven. Do we mean it? Do we honor his name? Do, do we ask for his provision daily? And, and do we seek his protection? You know, it, it's that kind of a thing. Jesus doesn't want you to memorize the Lord's Prayer and say it every day and think you're done. He wants you to have those realities and concepts in your life. So... This guy says, what's the most important? I think that's a good question. I think if you want to have a conversation with someone and you have the time to really have a conversation, ask them, hey, what's the most important thing in your life? What's important to you? What, what would you say if someone asked you that? And, and you, we're going to give one-word answers. What, what, what would we say? What, what are some of the answers we might give? Jesus is the most important thing to me. Then you have to explain that. Okay, what else? Oh, we are such a churchy crowd. This is great. Really, that's right. These are good Sunday morning answers. If you think in your heart of hearts, what's the most important to you? What do you spend the most time on? What do you concentrate on? What do you, what do you fund? What do you give money to? What do you, what do, you do? These are good answers. I, I suppose some of you would say, well, family is the most important thing. Um, I, I think family in the context of church family is like the best you can possibly have. Do you have any prized possessions that if, if your house caught on fire you and you were running out that you would grab? What would you grab? That, that's your prized possession. Are there some experiences that have just been so important to you? Have you ever stood on the rim of the Grand Canyon and looked at that and said, wow, God, you did good. I know it took you a while for the erosion and all that to put this together, but man, beautiful. What else is important to you? Health, well-being, is that important to you? Sure. Wealth and power, is that important to you? Hmm, where do we find power, real power? It's certainly not in Washington, D.C., probably more in Kansas City because that's where the headquarters of the Church of the Nazarene is. Jesus says the most important thing for anyone is to focus on God. Make your life about God. Get all in with God. More God. 
Look at what he said. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much this man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're getting close. You're getting warmer. You're getting hot. You're burning up. You're close. I want to be close. I want to get closer. After that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Love is the most important thing we can do. When we learn that love is really important, and when we really love God, he helps us actually love better in all kinds of ways, ways beyond our human capacity. So the first step in loving God is to love God with all. The first step in learning to love and living love Love God. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, so if you're going to take some notes, write some things in that are special to you. He says, with all your heart. That's your emotional life. That's your feelings. That's your desires. That's your attitudes. That's your uh, passion. What are you passionate about? This is your social life. Love God with all your heart, your emotional life. Love God with all your soul. Your soul is, just, is the center of your being, your, your spiritual life. Love God with your spiritual life. Some people are into all kinds of voodoo and horoscope and all kinds of things. And, they, and, and those are substitutes, poor substitutes for the real thing, which is loving God. So your spiritual life is your spirit. It's your will. It's your willpower. It's your innermost being. It's your very core. So love God with all of your soul. And you are able to love with your will even when you don't feel like it with your heart. If you've been a parent, you know you've had times when you had to love with your will because you weren't feeling it with what your kids had just done. Your mind is the third area of our lives that we love God with all of our mental life. Yes, your thoughts, your intellect, your reasoning ability. Your mind is where wisdom lives. Use your learning and use knowledge and use your thoughts to love God better. Engage your mind and your strength. This is your physical life. This is your, your body. Uh, you, this is appropriate uh, intimacy. This is... Your energy, did you like how I said appropriate intimacy? Okay. Um, your health, your wellness. This is your, your physical life. So try to do each of these areas of life well, to the best of your ability. And God will help you. And try to improve in the areas that you see lacking. Because God works in your life, but he's not going to do it all. You have to work at it too. You have to work at love. 
Anybody who gets married and thinks they're going to live happily ever after does not know what marriage is about. That A wedding, you might make it through the wedding, but let me tell you, there's going to be a time, and we have a word for this. It's called the honeymoon is over. Yeah, it, it may take a little while, and you might, but, you know, love is more about will than it is about feelings. It's about facts, and, and I love you, and I'm not happy with you right now. So, these things, taken all together, if you take your, your, your emotional life, spiritual life, mental life, and physical life, that's you. That's who you are. That's your total being. And God says, love him with all of each of those. Now, if you're out of balance on this, this doesn't work so good. Look at this car. Balance is the key. Have you ever been driving down the road and you've seen a car with one wheel that was so out of balance, it was bouncing? And it just, it, I, I couldn't imagine that the people in there weren't just being rattled, you know? Balance is the key. And people become out of balance when they forget some of these areas, one of these areas, or when they concentrate too much in one area and not enough in the others. Now, let me, I'm just going to give you this real quickly, but think about this. If, if you are too much into physical life, you, you might become like this guy. All about the, the physical life. You know, people who, are, who go to the gym and work out eight hours a day and, you know, just they're totally concentrating. I, I've seen some people so muscle-bound they couldn't even run, you know. They're out of balance. Sure, we need to be in balance physically, and probably this is an area all of us could do better. If we get out of balance, we might be like this guy. A dumb jock. Well, you can be too mental, too. <laughs> too mental. You become like this guy. I love it that he has those big Coke bottle glasses, you know. And, but look at all those books, and you can just tell this guy's really smart. He aced the ACT. Got the highest ever on the SAT. He's just, he can't talk to girls because he's, you know, he's just the bookworm, you know. He's a nerd. Now, that was never my problem. I could do better in this. I love to think. I love to talk. I love to reason. And, and so I want to do better in that, too. So I'm going to do better physically. I'm going to do better mentally. How about the person who gets out of balance spiritually? You can become a religious fanatic. You're yelling at people trying to convince them to come to Jesus. Nope. That doesn't work. Um, I was trying to find a person on the street corner with a megaphone blasting in a, in a person's face, you know? This guy worked pretty good. You understand what it is when you become a religious fanatic? Your mind is so in heaven that you're no earthly good, that kind of thing. How about if you're too social? Can you be too social? Can you be too emotional? If too much social life, you become like one big party you want it to happen. Maybe you're never serious. Um, you know what? I discovered that there's a lot of people who are addicted by social media. They spend more time on Facebook or texting or instant messenger or any of those things than they do on other things like prayer and reading the Bible. Is your social life more important 
than these other areas? Are you out of balance? In your, now, I don't know where you fall in each of these. Maybe you need to be more social. Maybe you need to be less. Maybe you need to be more physical. Maybe less. Maybe more mental. Maybe less. Maybe all of us could be more spiritual. It kind of helps us round out and balance all the other areas. You see... There is such a thing as too much social media, too much physical training, too much if you neglect the other areas. Jesus says love God with all of your being. Loving God is just not about your spiritual life. You've got to love him with your body and make your body better if, with whatever is in your power to do it. If you're not exercising, if you're not eating right, do that. God cares about that. We care about that as a church. We have the Daniel plan, which is a wonderful, holistic way to become holy. You could talk to uh, Sue, Sue Collins is about this, and, and um, also um, Sheila would be excellent. Uh, are you in a Bible study? Are you in a prayer group? Are you know? Whatever you do, whatever you do, get yourself more in balance and love God. Love God first and foremost. With each area of your life, with all of your being, you become a well-balanced, loving human being by being what God wants you to be, by loving, by loving God. And he will give you love for others. And you become more and more and more like Christ. So what's important to you? Focusing on God knowing the scriptures, knowing the power of God, knowing that God loves you and wants, to and wants you to love him totally, and he gives you his highest level of love, agape, so that you can love like him. The bottom line, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Live love. Live love. Learn to love the way Jesus loves. I like this. This is a couple uh, doing a wedding photo. Love the way Jesus loves. You know what? I love to meet with couples who are so in love that they are blind to all these other areas of life. They are so emotionally wrapped up in that. We are to put all of ourselves into that. And so I, I really work with couples who are going to get married. Well, you've got to think about all these other areas, too. When we learn to love God first and love like him, all the other areas of life improve and they begin to our life begins to give glory to God not by trying to give glory to God just by loving God and letting him love you we're going to celebrate communion and here's what we're going to do some people are going to come and they're going to grab a couple of trays and they're going to come here to the front and they're going to serve you they're going to serve you a tiny little cup of juice and a little wafer of bread. Please take and hold these things until everyone has been served. Now, Jesus did this the very first time at a kind of a Thanksgiving Passover celebration. So we need you to hold these things and wait until we can all join in this together. He, he said some things about this bread. And by the way, they drank um, wine, fermented grape juice. Uh, we, have, we have the real stuff. We have real grape juice today. Um, 
and, and he talked about the elements of communion as a reminder. But what he was really using was unleavened bread for the celebration, which we have here. Come, gentlemen, and begin to serve. That's fine. Go ahead. They're going to pass you this. If you would take those and then pass them on to others and then hold those. When he took the little piece of bread, he said that it was his body. And you remember those two words we talked about earlier? The word offering. He was offering his body, his physical life. He gave a lot of emotion into that. He sweat blood. And he's sweating. How engaged was he physically in what was going on? He died physically on the cross. He felt that pain. And he was willing to make that offering for you to know love and to have a life. To live love like he did. He took uh, this little cup of juice. or a, that Actually, they had several times during the meal uh, drank what we would kind of think as a toast to God. But when he said, now I want you to take it, I want you to realize this is my blood. It represented the blood of a lamb, a sacrifice. And now he's saying, I am the sacrifice. Do you see what God did in that moment? He offered us an offering and a sacrifice. And he says, you want to really know me? You want to know how to live? You want to know how to love? You too must become an offering. You take a little piece of bread, and it represents his body. It was not special. It was plain. By the way, this is very plain bread. There's hardly anything in it. Probably a little water and a little flour. No yeast, no leaven. And you know what? He took a little cup. And in that moment, that bread and that wine represented offering and sacrifice. His body and his blood. But Jesus gave all. He gave his very self. And guess what? Physically, he came back to life. To show us it could be done and that we could have eternal life. How's your body doing? Are you hurting today? It, you know, it's not like your body used to be when you, you know, I think you peak out at about 18, right? And it's going to slow until you, until you turn about 60 and then it really starts picking up. And whatever shape your body is, you're going to get a new body. But your soul remains intact. It, it lives eternally. I don't know about relationships in heaven. I think we're going to treat everybody like family. Like we do sometimes on earth. So Jesus wanted us to remember that. His offering. 
his sacrifice. Lord, thank you for this bread and what it signifies. It is your body. It is broken for us so we could be whole. You may eat the bread. And then he said, Lord, bless this cup. Lord, it is a sacrifice. I give myself to you. And like Jesus, we see that too. I'm all in, Jesus. Not just on Sunday, every day, every moment. May I be yours. Have you have given yourself an offering for me, may I also offer myself to you. And Lord, if that means that, that I get to sacrifice, I will do it gladly for you, for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Take the cup. In all of this, he said, remember me. Live love. Be the person that God wants you to be. And it starts with loving God. If you can love God better in one of these areas, start to do that. I'm going to revisit Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 every Sunday. And I would encourage you, if you'd like, to read it every day. If you can, memorize it. It doesn't matter what version you do. Oh, man, look at it in several versions. It's just, it, it comes to life. This is such a great verse. And it starts out with imitate God in everything that you do. Live a life filled with love. That's what he wants from you as his close follower. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You are dismissed.